This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 157 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? Kia ora, Dan. I am good. I admire your professionalism. I, I really try really hard to try and put you off and make you laugh at the start. And it's really to my own detriment because it's only going to mean we're going we're to start again or something. Now, I feel like it's funny you say that because I nearly like kind of laughed during that intro but i think after 157 episodes my secret to doing the intro is to not look at you like i kind of stare off into the distance and because i saw you like waving your hands around and clowning around but i was like i'm not having a bar of this i'm just stay the course you know you know the words if you're really clever what you do is um you'd sort of you'd hide my face you'd put like a notepad or something in front of my mm. face that would be the the way to do it but i appreciate your honesty that you don't even look at me anymore i mean that's good i love that i, I don't even look you in the eyes when I <laughs> no more eye contact <laughs> yeah all the romance is gone yeah how how are things in your life you having a good week yeah real good it's um it's been a much nicer weather week for us here in the wellington region but unfortunately it has not been that way in other parts of the country it's still i don't know how much coverage this is getting it's for listeners outside of new zealand but this it's it is not great for a lot of people right now it really isn't yeah i just the whole sort of upper north island and east coast has just been hit so hard it's um it's it's so tragic still seeing some of the stories still coming out today so mm. i don't know paul and it i feel like there's more weather warnings on the way it, it feels relentless yeah oh it's so yeah, so any concerns I might have or any troubles whatsoever, uh, nothing in comparison to, to to what other people have to have. The biggest troubles I have are probably there are some people at work that I'd like to report to HR, but I can't because they listen to the pod, and I know if I do that, they'll stop listening. So mm, so mm, I've just got to. That makes sense. Yeah, we can talk about those people offline. We can, yeah, um, that can, can be the, the after dark episode. So should we uh, should we jump into the classic? What have you been watching? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to talk about season five or season four, depending on where you, you look, of CB Strike. Uh, CB Strike, this is a show I've talked about uh, back in 2021, I think was the last time I talked about it, and it is based on the, the Cormoran Strike detective novels uh, written under a pseudonym, but written by J.K. Rowling. And, and so this one is about a retired soldier, He's injured in the line of duty, and now he's a private detective in in London. And basically, the the series focuses on how he and his his business partner solve some of the more difficult cases um, where it seems to have escaped the uh, the police's ability to, to do it. So yes, yeah, so as I was saying, depending on where you live and what listings you look at, this will either appear as season five or season four. And I've worked out what it is. Essentially, there have been five CB Strike novels. Um, based, you know, so these books have been com uh, converted for screen for five stories, but the confusion lies in the fact that they've listed um, books two and three in one season, so they only appears as four seasons. So it's book five or season four, depending on how you look at it. It's called Trouble, Troubled Blood, and um, 
yeah, so that's not really important. What's important is is that this this for me and anyone who loves investigative crime, this is a series that really should be given a go. It's um it's really flying so low under the radar. When when I talk to someone else who's seen it, which is rare, their eyes light up because they they're like, I finally found someone else to talk about this show and isn't it great? And like there's like really only two people in the world who seem to realize this. So I would be really interested in hearing if anyone else has seen it. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about the show a lot. Um, before I just go into that, it's so annoying when TV shows don't kind of line up with these sort of like season numbers from a from a just a purely like updating the website or updating our like I hate it when you've got to put the writer with the TV show. Like I I feel like when we get syndicated Paul by and we get turned into a I don't know a live action remake <laughs> of the Half Measure story. Who'd watch that? Come on. Just, just keep it simple. You yeah, know? that's right. Just make it one yeah. big season. We're, we're, yeah, we're not season one in New Zealand and season like no. zero somewhere. Like, too confusing. It's bad anyway. enough on IMDb, actually, if you look at us. We're broken into four seasons because they do it by year. So someone's already had a go at breaking us into seasons. Uh, I'm already upset about this. Yeah. this is the, who do you contact? So, who knows? Do you know, I regularly think about should we be doing this show in seasons? and But I feel like at 157 episodes in, like it feels wrong to all of a sudden be like, all right, season two. But in saying that, it would actually allow us to probably, you know, I could grant you holidays because we could be like, we'll be back and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I love a better leave, annual leave, sick leave, all the leave. Um, if that's what comes out of this, then I'm happy. I love how we, we talk about the planning live on the pod as well because we're too lazy <laughs> to do it at any other time. And in the middle of a, of a TV show. Yeah. So, yeah, look, uh, CB Strike, let's, let's get back down to business. So... Look, it, look, it, it looks interesting. I think I say this every time you talk about it. It kind of ticks the boxes of mm. um, TV shows and sort of the, the the genre that I like. You know, I love a, a good bit of BBC. I love a good bit of um, police de- detective sort of nature of shows. So I don't know why I'm not on this bandwagon. I I don't know. It's it it eludes me. I, I think like, you're right. Yeah, it's it's flying under the radar. Yeah, and I feel like you, I feel like you would enjoy. It. And I do use the term investigative crime genre because I think too often I use just crime in, in total. But really, when you think about it, there's investigative crime, and then there's there's like the Ozark and the Breaking Bad. Those sort of crime. That's a very different. Mm-hmm. So that investigative part, and then of course when it's not police, it does make it that bit different. So this case is like a real cold case as well in this latest season, Troubled Blood. Um, and bearing in mind this is a show set in present day, the synopsis for this season is that uh, Strike gets approached by a woman asking to help solve the disappearance of her mother who went missing 50 years ago. And so my first reaction to that is like, oh, well, good luck. But this is where the quality of the writing is is so high and, and it's so so intricate. And I do enjoy these types of shows where, where as I say, it's not through a police lens in terms of the lead and that dynamic just like Bosch Legacy or, or or Elementary is another one I think of a lot. They're they're in that world and that genre, but they're not following a police journey through the narrative, and they get to do different things. And so, um, yeah, then there's a quality that cuts above the rest. So last week you asked me um, when I was talking about Annika, um, you know, and I, how I like that show really because I like Nicola Walker as an actress, and uh, it wouldn't sit in the top half of the table of, of investigative crime, but this is a top half of the table. And it's got its own little corner of the genre that I don't think anyone else is really playing in. I think the other thing that's just dropped for me looking on IMDb is 
Tom Burke was in the Lazarus the Lazarus yes. project, which we've you know I've only just you, one of your top TV shows of last year. He was fantastic. I, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago as Rebrov. Like it's, I was like, where do I know that face from? And it's uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. And he's and this is a you know credit to Tom Burke because he's uh, he's so different. He is so likable. I mean, he's lovable in this show. He 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 is just that kind of guy. He's just this regular guy you might meet down the pub. He's just got a sharp sense of humor, very clever mind. And yeah, he, he is good. And his, his partner in crime, Robin, who's played by holiday Granger, who's probably better known to people as the lead actress from the capture. She's a real good fit opposite Tom Burke. She's, you know, she plays someone who's equally sharp. She's, and she's kind of like, she's almost the, the, uh, the mission impossible. She's almost the, the Ethan hunt of the pair because you know, because they're not police officers, they can do do things that they wouldn't do. She's good at going into places in disguise, improvising, putting on accents to, to get information to solve a case. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a real it's a really hard show for me to, to to criticize. If anything, I would, and this isn't something you or I very often say. I just wish the seasons were longer, like four episodes. It goes so quickly and you're really enjoying it so much. And then just when you're sort of really into it as your sort of, you know, your new show that you're getting used to sitting down and, and watching after dinner, it's gone. So, um, so yeah, but hopefully it'll be back for uh, another one. So question for you. So with a show like this, it often feels like it feels a little bit like, you know, it's kind of each season is kind of based around a, a different, obviously novel or kind of plot point not that i would ever do this that's so probably a redundant question but is this a show where you could just, if you want to check it out like does the order so much matter of the seasons here or could you kind of jump into any of the stories you you could from the point of view of the crime and the purpose of the investigation you could jump into any story and watch it as a, as a series as a, as, as a book and it would be absolutely fine because they they always you know spoiler they always resolve it within the confines of the book as you would expect what you would miss of course is the dynamic of how the two come to meet uh the history of him from the the armed forces and his, he's got a prosthetic leg and what that means throughout the series and crucially the 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 sort of simmering away relationship that is starting to you know, it's starting to really come to the come to come to the boil, and it's um, and this is what makes it um, you know, really, really um, so like oh, it's all finished already within four episodes because you just I could easily sit down and watch like ten episode seasons of this show. You know how often you and I sit down and we we watch something that's like a ten episode, and we'll say oh, it should have been eight, it should have been six. This is a four. This is a four that should be at least a six, if not an eight. Mm-hmm. it's interesting eh? and I think it's 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 funny because I used to know someone who would often jump into tv shows in season two because they would consider season one as kind of just like getting all the groundwork in and I I would never be able to do that but I'm always kind of intrigued that what where people sort of find the entry point particularly in a show like CB Strike where the season numbers are often displayed in funny ways as often you know as you say like this one's troubled blood so um there's always the risk of people jumping in at, at weird points but I think you're right like I don't know who would who would want to kind of start in a messy way I myself am a completionist Correct. you know season one of the American office isn't the greatest but it has to be watched every, every time, time. Yep. 
it's um it's just unmissable to add uh, to add a further layer of complexity although it's not too major this show is also referred to as strike in some countries and CB striking others. I mean, they're not doing themselves any favours here. Um, but uh, put that all to one side. For me, in terms of private detective shows currently on the air, this for me is on a par, I would say, with Bosch Legacy to sort of give you a feel for where I think it is. I'm absolutely gutted that it came out in December 2022 because that meant, of course, that we'd already, you know, I mean, the top 10 was a nightmare anyway. Who needed another show to go in there? But of course, it's now fallen through the cracks. And so it won't ever get an opportunity to to appear in that list um but yeah it's all the seasons all the stories are available here in new zealand on neon i love that good work the other thing i'm going to talk to you about dan and i'll tell you what my pick of the week is going to be a tough call this week because this is another one i've really enjoyed this was a movie it's an old one it checks out 2009's moon and this so yeah, this movie you know is now over a decade old, so I feel permitted to talk about spoilers as we go. So full warning. This is a rewatch for me. I saw this movie when it came out in two thousand nine. In fact, I have a real vivid memory of this being the final movie that we watched as a couple before we had kids. It was before our first child was born, so it was like that the last movie. Um, and this is a Sam Rockwell movie, and he plays an astronaut called Sam. Uh, who has what is, I guess they're calling it, a quintessentially personal encounter towards the end of a three-year stint on the moon where he, working alongside an artificial intelligence computer, um, sends back to Earth passes, parcels of resource. Now, what he's doing on the moon, forget about it. It's not really important what he's mining and, and that. It's the fact that this is a movie about a person, a human being, essentially alone on the moon for a very long period of time so you've got all of the great things around isolation the psychological impact of that the talking to yourself sort of thing it's got all those things going and this movie i don't know if you've seen it down but this for me is absolute top notch i have seen this movie and it oh, was uh brilliant yeah so it's it's been a long time obviously it came out in 2009 i remember watching it i must have I, I'm not sure how I would have watched it, but I, I have I have a fond memory of watching it and really enjoying it. And it's got some great cast members. And, you know, you and I always talk about those movies, which are is like kind of tightly confined by space. Confined or space, kind of very, yeah. Yeah, or very kind of like um, empty and alone because it's kind of just about, about one character and there's this sort of like great start. And, so, and I think this is one of those movies that, that really sucks with, has really stuck with me. I, I couldn't talk too deeply about the plot, but I, looking back through the images, it, it definitely brings back strong memories. And I remember at the time watching it being like, what is this? Yeah. And then one of those movies that really sits with you for a long time afterwards. Yeah. There's, I mean, it does. It does sit with you. It really, um, you know, even just watching it's just really affected me. It's a heartbreaking story and it's, mm. it's really well written. Duncan Jones, he's the writer and director for this one. I'll tell you what, I think he's great. He's someone to keep an eye on, but he also did Source Code, um, which I really enjoyed as well. But he's someone you don't hear of a lot. He's done like five movies in the last 20 years. But if you like Sam Rockwell, because this is the Sam Rockwell show, essentially. This, mm. If you like him, this is a movie you have to see, right? It's, um, it's his peak performance by a million miles, as far as I'm concerned, because essentially he acts out the entire movie by himself with the occasional 
video message coming to him from Earth. And as I say, we've got the voiceover of the AI robot droid that is is there with him. But um, he soon realizes, I said I was talking spoilers and you've seen it, so that's great, that he's he's not in fact Sam Bell. He is a clone and he's been created to serve on the moon, mining this stuff that creates energy on, on Earth, whatever. And so these videos that he's receiving, they aren't live. They're old videos that were sent to so the real Sam. And, and then when another Sam turns up, another clone, and he turns up because they thought that this clone had, had died, but he didn't. It gets really interesting because then he's he's acting opposite himself and he's sort of realizing what's actually going on here and that neither of these clones are real. And um, so for me, there's there's a lot of things here. It reminds me in some ways, there's a vibe of Mission to Mars, uh, not Mission to Mars, uh, Matt Damon's movie, The The Martian. Yeah, the Martian, um, the Martian. You know, yeah. a, a human being on their own. A little bit of gravity comes into it. Uh, Astronaut, The Last Push, a movie I re- reviewed in one of our early podcasts with Kerry Payton and Lance Henriksen, that sort of isolation in deep space. But the thing is, of course, this movie came out before one of those movies that I've just mentioned. So, um, yeah, a really, really strong performance, a really great movie. And it's only just over an hour and a half. It's funny, you just talking about the the big plot twist in this movie, completely forgotten about it. So and now that you've kind of said that, it's like, oh, of course, now it's all, all the pieces That's are falling back into place for me. Um, I think there's something about, like, if you can pull off one of these movies, and Sam Sam Rockwell clearly did, like it really speaks to your acting chops and I think because to be able to sort of command the attention of the audience virtually solo is such an incredible feat. Yeah, oh, it really is. And I'll be honest with you, um, I don't have too much uh, to compare. Like Sam Rockwell for me is is an actor who I know is very, very capable, very, very good. I typically actually think of him more – um, in sort of a lot of humorous movies or um, I don't know, but he's this, this for me is something completely right out the gate for me, for, for him. And uh, I just thought he was absolutely exceptional. I really did. It's a, it's a definite movie recommendation for me that will be going onto our top picks on the website for the movie section. I think we've got to get Sam Rockwell in for a peak performance at some point. Like, <laughs> I can tell you what it will be. I've already said it. It's, uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's just looking back. I was just then looking back through some of his other movies to try and find something that I thought would um, be be up there. But Richard yeah. Jewell, yeah, yeah, another good one. Yeah, um, Jojo was... Rabbit. Yeah, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Mississippi. No, you're right. Actually, there is a fair few things here. He's sort of, I don't know how to say it. He, he's kind of just. Oh wait. He just goes under the radar a little. I see the in Mississippi. It's Missouri. <laughs> half measure, Paul. Half measure. Welcome just saw the to- MIEC, so I was like, oh, what is it? Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Um, no, this is, uh, I, again, have just like CB Strike, because I, I, I like to bring balance to my reviews. I really struggle to bring any sort of uh, criticism to this movie hearing Kevin Spacey voicing the AI robot was somewhat jolting because he's, he, he just brings with him all of that, which is, you know, that's what that is. But, uh, this is a prime video movie here in New Zealand. Get amongst it. It's about time. I love this, Paul. This is a, this is a great flashback. Great movie. Um, 
I'm sure there'll be a few listeners of this pod that'll have definitely know this one. It is a classic. It is indeed. What about you, Dan? Uh, so I've got a couple of things for you this week alongside our, our joint watches. So I am still very, I'm going to be quick on this one because I don't feel like there's a lot to say, but I'm still very much on the Rescue Me um, hype train. Watched season two of this TV show, which came out in 2005. So this is about our firefighter, Tommy Gavin, uh, living with the, the trauma of having sort of survived 9-11. And it's, the show's very much now more in the space of, it's not just the drama of, of Tommy. It's, it's the entire fire crew. And they've all got such different stuff going on in their lives. And again, just to kind of repeat myself from last week, watching these shows, like, it's like going back into a, dipping your toe into a time capsule, looking back and like how kind of crass or different things were or how unpolitically correct we were still in in the 2000s and it's there's some genuine laugh out loud moments and there's some real real cringe moments but it's it's been a show I've kind of been still enjoying as a as a guilty pleasure I need to probably bring some other things to the show so maybe I'll, I'll try and sort of slow down my my review of this so I don't want to talk too much more about it I I feel like I've already said all the the good stuff um, the other thing I did want to talk about this week is a movie uh, that I've watched on Disney+. Plus. This is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So this is the, the second Black Panther movie. I've got, some, I've got some, some interesting thoughts on this one. So obviously, I don't know, have you, have you seen this one, Paul? Or? No, I've just had a number of people talk about it to me um, who are massive Marvel fans and I've had, oh, I'll, I'll let you go. Yeah, so this was a, an interesting one, and it was very much on my radar. One, I, you know, for, for long-term listeners of the pod, I did the, the big timeline rewatch of all of the Marvel movies um, all the way to the, to the end of the Avengers film. And then I've, I've kind of been obviously staying up to date, but a little bit more low-key about them all. And what's been interesting with this one is, obviously, the second Black Panther movie was very much um, originally intended to be the... The, the second uh, movie with, uh, uh, with 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 sort of the Black Panther continuing with kind of the the, the story for this was well written before um, Chadwick Boseman's unfortunate passing. Mm-hmm. So this this movie was delayed by with many different sort of COVID events, injuries mm-hmm. on set, script rewrites, and. I think what's I feel like I've got a mixed review on it. So, on one hand, I think they've actually done a really great thing. Like I think Ryan Coogler has done something really great with this whole sort of story and script. And rather than try to genuinely make Black Panther two with let's just bring in a, a new a new lead actor, they've he's very much told a story of um, the people of Wakanda. Uh, really struggling to come to the come to terms with the death of King T'Challa, and the 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 story though it has sort of big villains and and big moments is very much about all these just like individual characters kind of coping with this, and I actually think it, it ends up being quite a great story in that regard. In the same token, it's a very long movie. Like this is two hours forty one. Mm. It's I feel like, you know how like sometimes we'll make jokes about The Walking Dead Season 2, how it's like The Walking Dead script got mixed up with the, 
I don't know, Anne of Green Gables script, and they got you know they got they got stuck in the on the farm for a season. <clears throat> and obviously, we knew that was all, all done to budget reasons. But Correct. this movie almost feels like the Wakanda script got mixed up with some Avatar script, and it's the our, our key villain in this movie, basically Namor. He um, rules this underwater nation that none of the world has ever met before. They're a giant threat to Wakanda and the rest of the world. Cue big battle. And there's some amazing special effects, some amazing fight scenes, um, and, and a good a good sort of backup. But I think as the Marvel Universe has got so big, it just becomes more and more ridiculous how no other superheroes would sort of be in play when some of these things happen, or the fact that like this whole society existed and kind of no one knew about it. And so on one, on one hand, they're telling this really kind of great story, well, like amazing cast. I think the cast did an incredible job. They're introducing the the new the new Black Panther while sort of going through this this grief and uh, character growth, and they've kind of got some some sort of big story stuff going on. But I, I like I enjoyed it, but I didn't like the first Black Panther movie. I had a lot of fun, and a lot of the early Marvel films had a lot of fun. I feel like. I'm, there's something missing for me and I kind of feel myself either getting like fatigued with the Marvel Universe or or, or whether I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing up poor, who knows. But it, either way, it's it's not drawing me in like it used to and I don't know whether it's just it's too disconnected now or it's we've kind of been there, done that. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I feel myself falling out of love. It's see, this is interesting because this is overall the vibe of what I've heard from people who are largely what I would call the sort of like you know the hardcore Marvel fans, and and yet everyone, just about everyone, has said this with a certain degree of trepidation or like just wanting to say it quietly because of all the things that surround this movie and Chadwick's passing, and um, and so no one wants to come out of this and be really 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 critical in that respect but there's a real uh feeling of i don't know just a slight lackluster effect and it's um it, it is a shame to hear that and it's also just looking at it from my perspective as someone who hasn't watched many of them and would sort of think about jumping back into some of them some of the support cast in here looks absolutely yeah absolutely superb i mean just as you sort of scroll down the list and you're sort of seeing michael b jordan martin freeman julia Louis Dreyfus, um I love Lupita's Angela voice. Bassett, oh, Angela Bassett's superb. I love Lupita's voice from 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 Star Wars. Um, Deny from uh, The Walking Dead. Um, I mean, there's just so much here. But even the ratings, even the reviews, by and large, just are telling me a similar story. But what I find interesting is your remark around the the falling out of love, and in line with the comments made around, you know, is it oversaturated and you know, we talked about last week Liam Neeson saying the same thing with Star Wars, and I wonder if there is a a boiling point, a max level, or something where it just becomes it's too much. And I almost like I think what it's tough because I feel like we're we're talking about stuff now, which I think is is almost unfair to put all the weight of some of these things just on this movie because I think so. Just just to be really clear, I think the cast fantastic the 
the general like like the special effects were incredible they do tell a moving story i think they pay great respect to, to chadwick boson um and, the, and they do, they do some good stuff i just think the this film is carrying so much weight of the, of the Marvel universe, mm. and I do wonder, you know, particularly when you compare it to, you know, DC is about to go through kind of their their reboot of the DC universe. I can't help but wonder: is a reboot actually sometimes a little bit better because it's kind of like, yep, we've had our fun with this series. Like, mm. here's a fresh here's a fresh entry point for everyone else. Whereas the Marvel bit to date has been about world building, but now mm. that world just feels so big. And there's so many components to it. And and I don't think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way. I think there's a few people who are kind of feeling a little bit of Marvel fatigue. And obviously now when you split it between movies and TV shows, um, there's there's a lot to kind of wrap your head around about where it all connects. And I, I guess the different the different phases of the Marvel Universe are really the, the jumping off points for people. But just going back to our earlier conversation with CB Strike, a lot of people are also completionists. They want to know the whole story. So they're yeah. kind of like, it's all or nothing. So, Yeah. I This for me is one I've earmarked to watch. Believe it or not, I do have a list of ones I want to follow up on. This is one I do want to. And that's in spite of everything I've heard because I think sometimes, and we've talked about this before, knowing that maybe it's not quite the big whatever, sometimes lowers your expectations and you can actually come out sometimes mm. with a, a better experience as opposed to going into Suicide Squad thinking this is going to be great. And I, I actually do think like the, the, the two Black Panther movies is kind of like a nice little package, are probably a great watch. And I think you've really got to give it up for Letitia Wright who played um, King Chitala's sister. Like she does an amazing job mm. kind of stepping into this universe. And I think they really balance it out. Like Angela Bassett, it has an absolute incredible performance in this. Like all of the characters just bring so much kind of like raw grief, which is something we haven't really, you know, we're not really used to seeing that level of emotion. I don't think in a, in a Marvel movie, but I think going down that path of this movie does create the platform for whatever they want to do next in the space. But it's, um, uh, yeah, I look. I watched this over a couple of nights. Like it was so long. Like, we we kind of like oh, we we did an hour and a bit, and then we're like, oh, should we pick up the rest rest tomorrow? So it was kind of it, it, it was a film that kind of did get split, which I wouldn't have said for most of the other Marvel films. Like yeah. you know, there was a time when we were pumping one out a night um, and talking about two or three on the pod. So times have changed. Very good, very good. I was just quietly, I was wondering if you were going to bring this to the pod because I I thought this would almost certainly be on your radar so good to see you've watched it i i nearly put it as a movie of the week once actually but it's um look it's it's definitely worth a watch um i'd be interested in you actually watching it Paul, because i think it's going to have some interesting avatar comparisons with particularly with namor and the mm. these people that live under the sea so um and it'll be i i'm looking forward to when i watch avatar to sort of see who who did underwater the best in terms of like combat and action scenes and that will be interesting and the answer to that is the abyss always yeah that's true <laughs> that's true so if you want to watch this this is available on disney plus right now shall we jump into a joint watch that we've both done paul which is yellowstone season five part one time to head back to montana dan it's been been a wee while since we've been on the yellowstone ranch and this this for me is like a signature show this is one of those shows that um when i know it's coming up you know, like your Mandalorians, like your what was your medical so it's always a here we go. This is this is one of the big ones. So yeah, season five, part one done. 
<clears throat> interesting AI. I feel like I'm going to say something controversial here, Paul. Do you think, you know, like, like I, I have been on the Yellowstone Kool-Aid for a very long time. I, anyone who will listen, I'm like, you got to get on Yellowstone. You've got to watch it. I did not find myself enamored with season five. Um, like I did with the other seasons and if anything I worry that we are going down the walking dead path of like (laughs) is it just kind of the obviously that that's that's a low blow but I feel like I feel like the story is so familiar I feel like this season and has kind of lost its its shock factor that some of the other seasons have had I find some of the stories a little bit more uh, unbelievable which well, you know this is a lot of stuff that happens in this universe is unbelievable but this kind of feels like I, I don't know Paul like I'm really hoping for a strong second half of this season because though this like I enjoyed this I didn't come out of this thinking you're still one of the greatest tv shows on at the moment how did you find it this is exactly the same for me and the energy that you're giving off right now Dan is a million miles away from that energy that you first when you lured me into this Yellowstone world, when you first started talking about it, I could tell that I needed to watch the show. It's got that look. This is the opposite. This is the Walking Dead season seven look you're giving me now, and I'm waiting for a CGI tiger to turn up. This for me is the, the by far the weakest first half of a season of, of Yellowstone. It is a credit, I guess, to the level of, as I was saying at the start, of the series as a whole, that overall I still was able to enjoy it. It didn't quite do it for me. It is still really entertaining, but the problem, there's several problems. One is I really do not want to see John Dutton in a corporate office as governor. I want him on the ranch. I couldn't care less about how he, as an old school cowboy, struggles to fit into central government because that's closer to what I do. I know when I see me try and be a cowboy, so let's not try it the other way around. Beth's character has become a caricature. She's now laughable in many respects. There needs to be more more balance to her writing. She's she's like a TV that's turned up to max every now and then. That's good. It shocks you and it hits you. But if if the volume's up all the time, I just want to dial it down. And the feud with John's girlfriend and the fights, it's it's too much for me. Um, the market, market equity stuff, all of that storyline, this is not that. If you think back, I know he called you John. If you think back to season two and three, that was prime, right? Oh, look, season two and three was, and when you think about the the cliffhanger that season three ended on, I feel like from that point, like it kind of didn't deliver from season four onwards in in the sense of like, we ended on such a, oh my God, who's going to make it? Who's not? And though season four was still good because it was kind of dealing with it, it didn't, you know, look, you know, I, I use this analogy a few times. The DJ had me on the dance floor. He he had all the good songs going and then he kind of like, he turned it down too soon and I'm, everyone's leaving the dance floor, Paul. And I feel like that started in season four and I think it's, season five just feels, it feels like the magic that made Yellowstone has kind of like disappeared a little bit. And I feel like you're dead right with, particularly like with best character, like, we all kind of like love Beth in a weird way, but she's she's become hard to love at the moment. And I think this is real undertone of this season. What they kind of implying a character isn't going to make it, whether it's Beth or whether it's Rip or whether it's Casey, who knows? I feel like 
Casey has is the prince that was promised that has never actually turned into anything. I feel like, yeah. like what's happened to this guy? Like I feel like for the for the entire five seasons, he's kind of been the the almost heir to the farm to to take over from John, and every moment they get, they just push him further and further away. I feel like I'm with you on this John being the governor situation. Like it, it's almost like they've just given him Superman unlimited power. And you're invincible. No one can take you down. But it's it's kind of just, and the, as you say, the market equity stuff. It's like we've, I feel like we've been through this story so many times that we're taking the land. I don't like the fact that, like, like what's happening with like Thomas Rainwater, and I feel like he no. kind of was building a good relationship with John, and now that seems to be out the window. We, we've got Rip um, going on the road for a year to move some cattle. Like there, there just seems to be, I. Like, look, if you're taking some, if you're taking me on the road for a year, Paul, I need some time to talk to the people in my life. You can't just say to me, yeah. "You in the truck, let's go." Oh. You know, like I feel like there's some annoying bits to the story. Yeah, um, there are, and you've, you've raised a couple of interesting points. The KC one, I'd sort of overlooked because that whole story was odd. I mean, the Monica story, the 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 the, the, the stats of this season as well, like. You know, explosive start with the car accident and, and and all the trauma and all the, you know, the the really sad story that came with that. But it didn't make too much sense to me. And then all of a sudden, Monica, who was never about the ranch, is suddenly all about the ranch, and she's there and she's peeling potatoes. And it just it didn't it didn't add up to me because it, it wasn't true to her character. I don't know how Jamie hasn't put two bullets in Beth already, and so. That brings me to my first question, Dan. I've written down two questions for you this week. How about that? My first question is, not everyone's coming out of this season. Not season five, part two. There's there's so much hatred and there's so much bad blood. And I've heard a lot of real life rumors and cast filming things not working out or whatever, and maybe that's part of it. But from a story perspective, which is what we should stick to, who's your pick and why as to not coming out? I think based on how the season's currently playing out, um, I could see it being someone like Beth, um, only because it kind of gives us a really broken John, it gives us a broken Rip. Um, and saying that she's also a pretty strong lead character, so mm. could could it like it could equally be like from a storytelling point of view, it could be John, like you know, kind of the kids having to deal with the aftermath of him not being around. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like like it could equally be Jamie. Like I I yeah. can't handle any more Jamie double crosses. And I think that it was so it was almost I was waiting for Jamie to actually be a little bit smarter this season and kind of be like, oh yeah, I'm I'll go along with you and turn on my dad. Like you've only just got in back in the good books and you're so quick to turn. And I just feel like the problem is at season five. This is a story that we've seen for all five seasons. So. I think an, an easy death would be Jamie. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't I, I think the more interesting death I think is probably either I, I guess it's probably gotta be Beth, John or Rip, maybe. Yeah. But I, I think Rip's too much of a fan favourite. Yeah, see oh yeah, see on, let's get on to some positives there. Rip's a good place to start because Rip is Rip is even in the weakest of seasons, which we have so far, he's still so good. I feel like he is sometimes like the inner monologue uh, that is in my head sometimes, the way he talks to people or about people. You know when you're in a project meeting at work that you're really not enjoying? It's it's those sorts of moments that I think, 
my goodness, I'm thinking like Rip. And I think it's three things. It's his whole look, um, his demeanor, his walk, the sunglasses, the whole package. It's the lines that they give uh, Cole Hauser, the actor, to, 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 um, to say. And then crucially, it's the way he delivers them. If I could choose only one character to have a spin-off about from the Ellison characters, I'd 100% be choosing Rip as a spin-off with Cole Hauser in the lead because um, if, as, you know, as they've said, then they're going to go south and they're going to split people up. Are we going to follow both stories? I don't know. But if we had to finish this series, which we're not, but if we had to and we could only follow one story, I'd probably go with Rip. Well, the reason I think that we're going to be split up for a while is I think this is going to be their, their way for introducing the four sixes ranch where, right. um, where Jimmy is. And so I think there's going to be a bit of a crossover of some of those core characters and Jimmy interacting, which will kind of give them the nice twist. I just, I see, I think like Beth experiencing loss, i.e. of rip. We've seen broken Beth too many times. Yeah, like that's I right. hate to say it, but yeah, don't care. Whereas I think a broken <laughs> rip is going to be real dangerous. Oh, yeah. And actually what, what, I actually think is the real interesting spinoff is like just center the show around the bunkhouse. Like Correct. those guys are the most interesting thing going Correct. on and just having them managing um, the, the ranch would just be like endless entertainment. That's another thing. I really enjoyed the season when it got back to basics to dealing with ranch issues on the ground in a very tangible, practical way. The bunkhouse, John putting his suit back in the, in the closet and, and leading out the entire bunkhouse and various Duttons on horseback uh, to go out and brand cattle and do all those things. That for me was, that's good Yellowstone and all the stories that sit there. And, you know, you and I talk about his delivery of lines. How he just, he'll just sit there looking out at a sunset, talking to some other cable and he'll just come out with a couple of pearls of wisdom. And it's just, it's, it's really good actually on that subject. There was also those flashbacks this season mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't add value, but this season I thought they did. And I think the guy who plays the younger John Dudden, and I'm really sorry, I don't know his name. Uh, he, I feel he's really good. I feel like he's got a real good young Kevin Costner voice going on. And it's just those moments like that um, where this show gets back to basics with the bunkhouse and those stories that I feel like it, it does redeem itself. And that's why I was able to say I was still able to at least enjoy myself. The other question I had for you, and I'll just ask it because you touched on it, because you and I are both big Jefferson White fans. And so having Jimmy turn up, was always going to bring a smile to her face. But for me, it seemed so distant and so unrelated and almost forced in to suddenly cut from Montana to Texas for just 20 minutes and never go back. So you're seeing a tie-in coming up with Rip going south. Is that what your take is there? 100%. I 100% think they're going to try to leverage the sort of the goodwill of Yellowstone. And I think they want to right. um, kind of like guide people into this spin-off tv show with some familiar characters and it's kind of smart from a marketing point of view right like yeah. if you can get rip on the first season of your uh, four sixes tv show you, you you're gonna get viewers um but you, i'm with you it was weird can i can i talk to you about one other thing that was weird on this tv show so two things so finn little who plays carter I feel like he aged about 400 years between season <laughs> season four it and really season did. five. And it really was off-putting because he kind of went from this, um, like you kind of felt sorry for him as a kid, for now he's actually like a young man. And it's kind of like, I feel like the, the game is different now for him and he, he it's just different. But the thing that really annoyed me, Paul, is obviously the other young guy in this TV show 
uh, Tate, which is uh, Casey and Monica's son. Why did both Tate and Carter both have broken arms at the same time, but opposite wrists? I just felt like from as a as a viewer, it was kind of confusing. Like I'm like, oh, are we looking at Tate? Are we looking at Carter? Oh, actually, yeah. they're both just young young guys with broken arms. Like it was. It was weird, like, Very I don't, like intentional. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. You know, it's a really good, really good check because that was odd and confusing. And from a continuity perspective, from filming, it probably gave the editors a real nightmare as well. But uh, I didn't see the point. That the the um, real good observation on the uh, the aging. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's four hundred years older. But not just that. It came with a whole personality change, and I appreciate that as kids get older and they go through the tweens and into the teens and all the rest of it, that things change and, you know, attitudes change and so on. But this was too extreme. And that, so when you couple that with a change in actor, you could almost label it at the actor and saying, oh, come on, you're not doing justice to the character. But the characters, the, the actors reading what's in front of him, right? Yeah, yeah, look, exactly, exactly. Look, it, it's a small thing, right? Because obviously you, you can't blame Finn Little for growing up during this TV show, and that's right. You know, like going going through going through the change. Um, I think. Look, I I still enjoyed this season. I think the reason I feel like I need to put some holes in it is because you've been delivering bangers, and I didn't get the banger vibe from you. And I think there's potential for you to redeem that in with the second half of season five. Yeah. Because um, I I think the general uh vibe on this is pretty shit i don't think we're too far off the the wider the wider populace on this yeah no i think you're absolutely right and i think the the banger um reference is quite good with your previous analogy of the dance floor so people have been there they've enjoyed you know three really good songs the fourth one wasn't quite there the fifth is so now there's an opportunity to bring out an old classic bring out a real good one to keep people back on the dance floor because yeah this is yeah this is a yeah. show we're going to watch to the end i know that and i think what keeps me going more than anything um just early spoilers for what i'm thinking because we're going to be reviewing 1923 in the not too distant future the the yellowstone uh second prequel a lot of people have been talking about that that's their main show now that they've been really enjoying that so now i've got really raised expectations for that shows um but of course all the tie-ins are what keep me glued and like it's it's kind of frustrating, right? Because we're we've got part one of nineteen twenty three, then we're going to obviously have part two of Yellowstone, then we're going to have to have part two of like there was a simpler time, Paul. Yeah, there was a simpler time, oh. and it's no longer with us. We could go on a tangent here, and I'll be brief. But like, think about how they they do this with the Walking Dead, and they you know they do season seven part one, and then they split across the fear of the Walking Dead, and I. And like you, I'm a, I'm a simple man who likes simple. But give me the whole season and then change shows. And then give me the whole season of that. I don't mind going back and mm, forth, but mm. breaking up halfway, I don't know. It's not for me. Indeed, indeed. So, look, we'll be back for Yellowstone Season 5 Part 2 um, as soon as that gets announced and confirmed. But, um, yeah, I think watch the space on this one. It's, it's still worth a watch if you're a Yellowstone fan. Oh, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Shall we? Uh, shall we jump on into the movie of the week? Yeah, let's go for that. That, by the way, Yellowstone is available on Neon here in New Zealand. Movie of the week, Dan. Uh, we take it in turns each week. We choose a movie. We announce what that movie will be a week in advance over on our Discord community, which you can join if you click the link in the show notes. 
and then you can watch along with us seven days later right on this very podcast and this week welcome to jurassic world jurassic world dominion now one thing with this paul well i've got a, I've, I've got a few thoughts I, i'm coming in hot from yellowstone <laughs> oh wow so he's not even got off the horse yet <laughs> Yeah, yeah, look, I'm still riding around the horse. I'm still riding around the ranch on my horse. I've got my cowboy hat on. I am, and I'm probably doing this wrong, but, like, I, I'm not up to play with the Jurassic World movies. And looking back at the movies, I have a clear love for Jurassic Park 1993. Mm. I am 99% sure I've seen um, The Lost World 1997. From Jurassic Park onwards, so 2001, you're talking peak Daniel Whiting on the dance floor, listening to bangers at the clubs, doing all the good things. Jurassic Park, not really in his realm. And I definitely haven't, like, I've maybe seen the odd clip or the odd bit of stuff on Jurassic World. Um, I definitely have never watched, um, like, Fallen Kingdom. So I'm really coming into this movie as, like, 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 I'm – after just banging on in this podcast, that I like to, I'm a completionist. I have not done this with this movie. I've just come in. I don't, is this, is this the last movie? Uh, is there more to come? I don't know. But I felt like I had enough of a, I had enough of a vibe that, okay, so we've now got dinosaurs just rolling around the world. But I really feel like this is the Fast and the Furious of the dinosaur <laughs> world. Like it was basically just like big moment to big moment with like a loose kind of thread in between. And the real kind of connection for me was obviously having some of the classic characters from the original Jurassic Park. Now, I know I'm getting a bit ranty here, but despite all of these things and despite it not really being my overall favorite of the Jurassic Park, because I think the real magic was in the first one, I didn't, I did have a good time. Like I, like I, like it was kind of a good popcorn movie, and I I think the like the cast was pretty fun. The the dinosaurs were fun. I, I I found Chris Pratt a little bit annoying, particularly with the kind of like holding his hands out to stop the dinosaurs. Like his weapon was his hands. Like like he was just like the stop yes, hand. Right. Like yes, and he just he, he doesn't even use a weapon. Like every occasion he'll pull out a knife. He's using the force, and I, I found that a bit weird. And I just found the idea of living in a world where there's just. Like, the sea's already terrifying, Paul. I, I don't need, like, dinosaurs in the sea. I I don't need to be just, like, okay. I'm not, I haven't even let you talk, but I feel like I'm, it's, it's, there's so many things. So in the movie, when all of a sudden there's, like, velociraptors, like, chasing them through the city, yeah. like, these, these dinosaurs are just getting, like, wasted by, like, poles and parked cars and all sorts of things. And then eventually the car just speeds off into the distance. But never mind, these poor people that live in the city, Paul, they're just going about their life, and they're getting attacked by velociraptors or whatever type of dinosaur they are, because our main heroes have just, like, escaped in a car. I, Mind-blowing. Anyway, what do you think? Welcome to the jungle, Dan. Honestly, I've got two visions of you. One is you uh, as a audience member cinema-testing movies, and this person comes up and says, what do you think of the movie? And you go, I like the dinosaurs. They were fun. <laughs> and, and then the second vision is, me, is you outside the beehive with like a placard complaining, going, I need to be able to get to work safely. We shouldn't allow these dinosaurs on the roads. It's um, Ah, there's a pterodactyl. Ah. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that you said some of the things you did because this movie is about family. And um, so the likeness to the... The Fast and the Furious is a, is is an interesting one to make. It's um, yeah, the popcorn part 
that's the element that I'm going to focus on because from a popcorn movie point of view, I thought this this was good in that respect. So this is the sixth and final movie. So it's the third movie in the Jurassic World trilogy, um, number six in terms of all you know, Jurassic, three Jurassic Park and then all three Jurassic World. So this is set four years after the events of Jurassic Park. Um, the... <laughs> here I am saying I know what I'm talking about. What's it called? The Fallen Kingdom. I was going to say The Lost Kingdom. No, Fallen Kingdom. Four years after that movie. And um, this is The Force Awakens of the Jurassic Park movie series because we get the original trilogy heroes and the sequel trilogy heroes all together. And so on paper, this is the Jurassic Park movie that I've probably looked forward to seeing the most since, like you said, the, the, the 1993 original because that was... That was the the groundbreaking one. That was the one we all, well, old, us oldies remember. And look, this movie did not play out as as well as The Force Awakens in that in the regard of that analogy. But there were a lot of things I liked here, and I'm going to go with the obvious fanboy things that I want to do, and that is the original cast, just superb. I mean, I I really came to this movie on the strength mainly of Sam Neill, and every time I see Sam Neill in something, I instantly feel like I need to watch more of his stuff. Uh, yeah, I recently watched him in the the legal drama, the Australian drama, The Twelve, and for my money, kind of like you and I talk about Kevin Costner in, as John Dutton, Sam Neill is like in a new prime of his career, and I know that he likes to spend a lot of time in his paddocks here in New Zealand in Otago, but I'd love to see him in a few more movies. Laura Dern was good too. I much prefer her in this role as this character as Ellie rather than The Last Jedi. She was just so good, and she slips straight back in, and the dynamic with with Sam Neill as Alan Grant was was fantastic. Not as much Jeff Goldblum in this movie, but his character's probably better in small doses. I feel like the popcorn part of this movie is is, is what makes it good. There are some really good acting moments, some big action scenes. I think as from a directing perspective, I think uh, Colin Trevorrow was was superb. Just to complete my analogy with the Star Wars movies, uh, you know, he was supposed to have done The Rise of Skywalker, but he fell out of favor for creative differences or whatever. And I do wonder what that movie might have been like with him at the helm. But anyway, I think this movie really showcases his ability to do action because, as you said, you sort of moving from action scene to action scene. It is the story that gets us there that is a little bit clunky along the way. And also, this movie is 30 minutes too long. I, we watched this with a nine year old daughter and she had a great time and i think the scare factor the language level all those things are a good match but even for her it was too long yeah it's it definitely was a long movie and it's it almost felt like at times the story didn't really matter but i think i i think if this movie didn't have sam neill it didn't have jeff goldblum and laura dern i do like i I don't know if I would have made it through. Like it's, I think it was that connection that really kind of kept me in. I also like, I actually really like um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Like, obviously, she's about to like, she's directed a few of the the Mandalorian episodes. Like we, we like, like she's great. It, it kind of had like a, a weird heart to it. But what, what's kind of interesting about this is, it's a bit like the Fast and the Furious because original Jurassic Park like nice and contained dinosaurs on a world like kind of conceptually it was amazing we'd never seen anything like this yeah that's right to this quality whereas almost like these films are so polished from a 
um, special effects and everything just looks like everything's shot in such high definition it's there's almost like it's a it's a charm that's a little bit lost when they get to the scale and I, I, it's the same as like how over the top fast and the furious is now like it, it's in the same bucket um and i it, it's annoying that like you know when you've got something great and it just gets kind of like taken into into such extremes but look this was i had a far better time than i thought i was going to it's like it, it's a fun movie i I think this is a game that you could watch and play Animal Crossing at the same time. Oh yeah, you absolutely could. You absolutely, that's a great analogy to make there. Great. So could be talking about that a lot. And there was a lot of fun and wow moments with the quality of the CGI. You're right. But we were wowed in 1993 and, and now that, that factor has perhaps gone. We've taken it for granted with everything else we see. A um, couple of other great cameos in here. Firstly, Campbell Scott as the big CEO of, of Biosyn. He had a real Tim Cook vibe going on. Mm. Um, uh, one of our favorite actors, Omar Sy from Lupin. Great seeing him, English speaking role, give it a different dynamic. But um, yeah, I feel like this movie suffers from some of the things you've said, but also I think the fact is it's had five prequels dating all the way back to the original classic. And so a lot of the ideas of, oh, what can we do with Earth, uh, dinosaurs on Earth in modern times? Oh, let's have them annoying Dan Whiting King uh, as he's driving down the motorway. Um, they've already done these things and so um i don't know and secondly the problem is, is that we always know from a studio perspective from a money perspective it's going to be a blockbuster so before you even sit down and press play on a jurassic park jurassic world movie you know 100 percent you're getting action and big set pieces and running and screaming and and that kind of further limits the story i would love to imagine what the most non jurassic world jurassic world movie might look like so think about andor of Star Wars, something that's in this universe, mm-hmm. dinosaurs, but doesn't involve them driving cars into the moon and you know all the other blockbuster things. It's um, I am interested though in your opinion on whether or not there'll be any more because this is, you know, we've had the we, we can't have a prequel trilogy because the start of the first movie, you know, Richard Attenborough, which they never this it's never been the same since Richard Attenborough left. It, it's um obviously he's he's passed away so he can't come back but he was superb and i miss him in the, in this movie series but he started it off with the park so we can't have a prequel before that we've now had a trilogy are there but from a studio point of view these movies make a lot of money there's like they're all in the, like the top 30 movies of all time so will we see this franchise return and if so how I think it's got to be reboot. Like it's got to be okay, yeah. start fresh. Obvious. Take us back to the. Take us back. Like take us back to the original. Like give us a remake of of Jurassic Park with kind of maybe a different story and a different twist and and build a new universe. And I think kind of the more contained you can keep it. I don't know. Maybe maybe the better. I, I think when it just gets so tech heavy and it like I, I'm real like. I may be just, you know, out on a limb here because it's, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Jurassic Park, but I even just kind of didn't like the kind of disrespect that kind of like um, Laura Dern's character had with Sam Neill. Like, even though like at the end of the movie when he's like, oh, you're going to go back to your digging? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 the core, like, like, like this is a, a profession that, like, you guys kind of share a vested interest. Like, it's not just digging. Like, it's, you know, this is archaeology. Like, it's, I don't know, there's... It was true to her character, though, how they play. If, if you think about that first movie, that was kind of their dynamic. So that much was, she was always sort of like belittling him. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, 
I I almost kind of enjoy more of the like Alan Grant, Ali Settler experience with the dinosaurs as opposed to the um, Chris Pratt kind of like action hero component with the dinosaurs, like almost kind of like humanize it a bit more. And I think there's always going to be those kind of like security type characters or, you know, kind of the big tough, but it, it just, I don't know if it makes sense. I Look, I don't need any more. I'm sure they'll do more, but no, I know. I, don't need it. I mean, the Chris Pratt factor is interesting because he's the lead. He's the big dog in this now. And we've talked about all the others and he, like, like you said, putting his hand out to stop the dinosaur, you know, that became a, a bit of a thing. And I think the only thing he does well is not the only thing. I'm being really harsh here, but the the, the relationship with the the baby raptor's mother. I mean, that's pure cinema creative license stretching. But in this universe, I kind of go with it, and I kind of love that whole scene with the the baby raptor on his back and the face he makes when Jeff Goldman's like, is that a dinosaur on your back? And he's like, yeah, that's the big deal. It's, um, I, I kind of think he does the comedy moments really, really well, which of course we've known for a long time with Chris Pratt. And I think, you know, that, that's a specialty, right? I think it, it's probably a little bit hard because I'm, I'm coming in at the sixth movie in a franchise having mainly seen number one. So it's like some, I'm, I'm missing a lot of the, the Chris Pratt context. Well, that is available to watch here in New Zealand, also on Neon. Indeed, it the is. Oh no, let's let's do our pick of the week then. Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I think um, I think since I had rescue me last week, I'm going to mix it up, and I think I'm going to give it to Black Panther this week, purely for the I think the the real life and emotional story it's still told about. Chadwick Boseman and the the legacy that he kind of left behind I think even though I, I had some complaints about really the the Marvel Universe I think this this film in particular did do a a good job um in a pretty tough situation how about yourself yeah for me like I enjoyed some things this week I really did but CB Strike really is up there for me um it's just it's it's up there with the you know with the crime dramas of the the Happy Valley of the Line of Duty of the Criminal the Bosch it's it's really a terrific find so yeah CB Strike for me then I love that shall I uh, take us on over to the news desk sure all right so what have we got this week so so it looks like uh, Shazam uh, the new movie that's coming out there is apparently a possibility for more Shazam films in the future if you're a Shazam fan um, and that it may not be over um, even though there is a whole bunch of restructuring and replanning uh, with James Gunn and Peter Safran uh, over at DC. So good news for fans of that uh, particular superhero. Mm. We have got uh, the Super Mario movies, speaking of Chris Pratt, which is due to come out in April, has been brought forward by a couple of days. It will now be, particularly in the US and 60 other markets around the world, be debuting on the 5th of April. So look, I've seen the trailer. It, it looks fun. I, I, I could be interested in this movie. I don't know whether it'll be at the movies, but it, it's piquing my interest. Uh, the Mandalorian executive team have explained how uh, Gina Carino um, 
who we know as um, Cara Dune, will continue to live on in the Mandalorian universe, though we may never see her again. We know that she departed from the series a little while ago, uh, under a bit of a cloud, but I, I think it's it's great that the 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 notion of this character can still continue, even though it's um unfortunate we won't get to see any more Cara Dune. Uh, what else have I got here? So it looks like we are going to get some new Lord of the Rings movies, um, and they are right. going to be on the the big screen. So this is this is big news. We don't know too much about this yet. Um, it's largely come out of a, an earnings call, but I think interesting to see what they do. Obviously, we've I, I'm intrigued to see what direction they go in. Um, whether it kind of connects to the wider universe um amazon studios have already sort of come out and said they're not too worried about it from a a rings of power perspective and they think there's enough lord of the rings content for everything to kind of coexist in this world but i think interesting space like this is this is big news on the lord of the rings front um oh, interesting massive. to have some new movies yeah i'd say i'd say they're actually seething to be honest but they'll never admit it publicly Indeed, indeed. Uh, what else have I got here? So, Paul, did you watch a TV show once called The Night Manager? I certainly did. With, Please give me season two, Dan. It's been a long time. It's back for a second season. Oh, um, no. It's finally in the works, and it's due to come back as a as a, a two-season um, next round. So it's in the early days, but you can expect more of that in the near future. Top quality series there. Absolute top quality. If you haven't already get in and watch that first season of the night manager because it's that would be perfect timing for this oh that's that is the news of the month that i've heard so far dan quality news two other things for me so hbo uh, max is putting out a, a prequel series um for it the 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 movies with the scary clown the tv series is going to be a prequel and it's going to be called welcome to dairy <laughs> wow I don't get that confused with Dairy Girls. No, I was just going to say, if you're going to that expecting for a comedy with some Irish school kids, you're in for a shock. Indeed, indeed. And the final bit of news for me, so Netflix, The Glass Onion, is going to be getting a, a director's commentary version. So if you're a fan of Ryan Johnson and you're a fan of uh, director's commentaries over your movies, then that will be coming soon to Netflix, Glass Onion. Very good. Any news on your end, Paul? Not too much this week, Dan. Just two things. Firstly, uh, finding out that Nick Offerman is being cast in the fourth season of The Umbrella Academy. He is just one of those actors who I'll just literally watch in anything. Um, you know, he's most recently appeared in The Last of Us, which we'll be talking about when that when that finishes. But of course, as Ron Swanson, just an absolute legend. So that was that was pretty exciting to see that and. Um, the hype is building for Ted Lasso, uh, which is now less than two weeks away for that. And then what was the final thing I had? I was just looking at it before. Oh, Zachary Quinto, such a great actor, someone who I really loved in Heroes and then, of course, was really, really quite good as Spock in the Star Trek movies. He's he's coming back to as the lead actor in a new medical drama called Wolf, um, Andy Circus is, is associated with that as well. So yeah, he's a, he's an actor I really really enjoy, and I just haven't seen him for a while, so that caught my eye as well. Very good. Anything in the mailbag this week? Yes. So this week, Dan, just a quick commentary on last week. You and I 
in between our what have we been watching we went off on a little bit of a tangent which you know we eventually sort of brought ourselves back in but a couple of people actually picked up on that conversation which was interesting we were talking about uh you know watching things on dvd and how we used to have dvd players in the lounge and now we've got boxes of them and we heard from tony in the manor or two uh who works in the trade in the industry and he reassures us that the the dvds the blu-rays the all of that media is going nowhere he says not everyone has uh you know the ability to stream or or wants to or has the knowledge to stream and he says that you know there are people traveling from all over the place constantly inquiring about physical media we had um uh so norman from mission log still a big user of physical media great for all the special features and and extras and also makes the point that you get a better visual quality than some streaming options which is, i think is a is a is a sort of like a sub thread of this conversation which i'd be keen to talk about um and then paddy time traveling tink podcast um he says he still buys a lot of content not just like the the older stuff for the the old doctor who that him and trisha are reviewing on their podcast but also like he says he he owns the entire first three phases of mcu on disc even though he's a subscriber to disney plus he wants to own that content and i think i can really relate to that because i still have content physical content and i won't be padding with it anytime soon but i just thought it was really interesting that people picked up on that part of our podcast last week then it is interesting though because every now and again you do go onto a, a streaming service and you think, "Hey, I want to watch my favourite comedy of all time, Step Brothers," and you know it, it's not on there and you, you can't find it anywhere. You've, you've got to have access, and I think you've only got to look at the the terrible kind of weather things that have happened um, in our country over the last month, and all of a sudden you can be without without internet, cut off completely, and you know what if what if you've got to watch Star Wars? What if you've got to watch Harry Potter? What if you've got you know? Yeah, having some physical media isn't a bad thing. I think for some of your favourites. Yeah, and also comments received around, although they haven't got DVD players anymore, all the consoles that they have attached to their TV, you know, they they'll accept the the Blu-ray discs and, and DVDs as well. And I do to, to to Norman's point from Mission Log around the the quality aspect, that sort of subthread. I think that is a real thing because uh, I'm going to pick on Netflix here. I find that the Netflix quality uh for some streaming shows and i'm thinking most recently of star trek voyager is not as good as the quality because i still have all the discs as i said you know from back in the day it is actually a higher quality the problem for me is is whether i can be bothered to go and get that dvd and put that disc Mm. in for the sake of one episode a week i I'm I'm kind of on the fence there with that one, but the point is not lost on me. He's absolutely right, and all those special features and commentaries, um, I think, um, often but more often than not, come with the the disc and not with the media. Although you just said about Ryan Johnson with Glass Onion, I think that's a really interesting point. But um, but yeah, I just uh, thought I'd just pick up on that because it was a really interesting sort of little conversation that was going on there. Um. Other than that, Dan, what else? Oh, okay. So peak performance, peak performance. So last week was Dame Judy Dench. We had, uh, first of all, a real, real deep cut from uh, our good friends, uh, Bruce Gray from Scotland, who said, not sure how universal this show was, uh, but it is what I always think of 
first when I think of Judy Dench, and that was As Time Goes By. And that is a classic. And I remember I have memories of sitting in my lounge as a as a young sort of teenager or young you know kid whatever with my parents watching that show uh, as time goes by and that's a an absolute classic so really good shout there um jason from wellington went with the first best exotic marigold hotel movie uh diana from captive coast went with m in casino royale liking the fact that m was real mean to bond in that particular uh movie uh ellen from wellington was oh, yeah that's what the M stands for. Yeah, mean. Mean. M is for mean. Well, now we know. We never, we never found out what the C stood for in the, the movie. <laughs> but anyway, Ellen from Wellington uh, went with uh, Phil- Philomena. Phil- Philomena. Sorry, Philomena. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Um, but that was her pick for big performance. And then finally, Paddy gave us a 3 2 1, of course. 1979's Macbeth, Goldeneye. And Skyfall, and he defends his right to pick out two bonds, just as you did. Um, he makes the point that technically she was playing two different M's, which is very true. So that's the mailbag. He's got him. He's got us on a technical count, and we'll let that fly. We'll let it go. That's very good, indeed. Oh well, that's uh, that's great. Always love hearing from people, so please do write in if you have any thoughts or feelings. Shall we jump into our peak performance for this week? Yes, indeed. So every week, light moving the week. We take it in turns to choose someone from the movie and TV industry and try and find what we think is their best performance yet. And I see what you did here, Dan. You've gone from Dame Judi Dench to Daniel Craig. I have indeed. And I, you know what? I'm all about breaking rules, Paul, as you know. So, look, this 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 week, Paul, I, I'm going for a... a a double banger, a bit like Paddy mentioned. And I, I feel like I'm doing it. I feel like I've got a rationale to back myself up here. So I'm going to go, uh, what order am I going to do this? And I'm actually going to do, I'm going to do it backwards. Wow. I'm going to go honorable mention, no time to die. So, and I'm going to go and I'm going to give my peak performance as well, which is Casino Royale. And the reason I wanted to like book in with those two movies, and I know it's a little bit cheap having the the same franchise <laughs> for an actor, but I, I think, you know, I don't recall with the other James Bond movies ever going on such a journey of um, new newly licensed 00 agent to kind of the the – demise of a of a double o agent and kind of like i just think like daniel craig absolutely just like smashed it out of the gate with casino royale like everyone had their doubts as they always do with new james bonds and new jokers i think he came in hot had that fantastic opening parkour scene in casino royale mm-hmm. and you know there was there was some ups and downs throughout some of the his sort of time as Bond, but overall, I think he just he just did such an incredible job taking us on a journey of a of a of a a younger Bond, um, understanding what it means to be a, a spy in her Her Majesty's um, Secret Service, all the way to kind of like really being a, a craft expert in that in that final movie. So, honourable mention, No Time to Die, peak performance, Casino Royale. How about you? It checks out. I love it. And I think it's fair enough because I too had a moment where I was unsure of my honourable mention as to whether I might have two bonds. But in the end, I didn't. I had a few contenders, but in the end, I went with 2004's 
layer cake from Matthew Vaughan. And this was a movie, I saw it when it came out, and it was a movie that, that even though he'd been in movies like Road to Perdition and other movies, this was the one that made him stick in my mind. I thought as a lead in this, he was superb. He had a great uh, chemistry with Sienna Miller. So he, he plays this really uh, convinced, he's really convincing as this um, uh, cocaine dealer. Um, who's sort of getting these assignments from his boss just when he's trying to retire. And it really, yeah, it just, it just really had a, the movie had a Guy Ritchie vibe to it, if you like, and sort of Daniel Craig uh, plays the role of this, this dealer so well alongside George Harris and Michael Gamden in particular. And it's, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's trying to get out of the game alive while he's young and, it's really, really, it's really, really good. It's another one that just almost, again, flew under the radar just a little bit, you know, again, before uh, Daniel Craig was, you know, overly famous, so to speak. But that was my my pick for peak performance. And then, uh, sorry, for, for honor, uh, peak performance is just two years later, and it's the same as as you, Dan. It's, uh, it's Casino Royale. And, yeah, so it was always going to be Bond, and I think, like you say, he gave such great performances across all five films. But like you said, it's the manner in which he sets his stall out in Casino Royale right from the get-go. What if, you know, when you talk about first performances of Bonds, and I did it when I went through all the movies a while ago, but there was something about this that his performance and the nature of the movie instantly changed the profile and the feel of what a Bond movie is. And you know, it's it's probably right up there in terms of my most watched Bond films. And I think you know, there's a number of things there, but also the chemistry with Eva Green as Vespa. I think that's you know also really really memorable in terms of that relationship that Bond has with anyone throughout all of his movies. It was really, and it was a real thread that went through all five of his movies. So I think the challenge here now is how they ever, you know. Um, bring someone new in to play a future bond it's a big ask because yeah Daniel craig's left a mac on the franchise that for my money is the most significant since sean connery so yeah layer cake and casino royale layer cake is a fantastic shot and i i always think of that movie as a as a guy Ritchie movie for some reason it just it, you're so right it has that kind of complete undertone to it so um, and it's interesting too, just thinking about like it wasn't that long ago on the pod that we reviewed um, No Time to Die, mm. and we watched all of the movies for our, our movie of the week mm. and lead up to this. And I kind of feel like I've been wanting to watch No Time to Die again, actually. But I kind of feel like I could, even though it's only been a year, I could probably do the the Daniel Craig all the movies again. Go back and watch them all. It's, That's yeah, how good they yeah. are, right? Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does. As always, thank you for listening in, sticking with us right to the end. And as always, get in touch. As Dan said, let us know if you've got any comments or feedback or anything we've talked about, peak performance for Daniel Craig or suggested actor or actress for peak performance. Let us know. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.